1: It's Catechism time and we're learning about the general definitions and uses of the Christian sacraments. Now, sacraments to be sacraments have to be instituted for use within the Church by the Lord Jesus himself. There are two of them, as we know, baptism and the Lord's Supper, sometimes called Holy Communion. There are visible reinforcements of the Gospel, as we have learned over the past couple of lessons. And now in question 66, the Catechist asks us what are these sacraments? He's not asking us to name them. That would be easy. He's asking us what they are about. The purpose of these ordinances that God has placed within the church. It's a broad question applicable to both of the sacraments. So here's the question. It's question 66. What are the sacraments? And the answer we must give is that the sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God, so that by their use, he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants to us the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. So, What are the sacraments? And why did the Lord Jesus place them in the church? And the key, I think, lies in the Catechist's use of the word visible in his answer. These are visible signs. They are things that we can see that point us, as signs do, to something away from ourselves, to Christ, to the promise of the gospel. And because the Catechist is so careful to define what that promise is, And believe me, it's not health or wealth or prosperity. I think we must define it too. So, what is the promise of the gospel? That's what we're going to look at in this episode of the podcast.
0: You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy.
1: There's a theme that runs right throughout the Bible. A promise that God makes to his people, right from Genesis to the very last chapters of the book of Revelation. It sounds something like this. I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's an eternal covenant promise made by God to those whom he has chosen. When you're doing your Bible readings, look for it. It's not always worded quite like that. But every time you find it in whatever form, underline it, for it's really important. We call it sometimes the covenant of grace, because it is a covenant made with us when we really don't deserve it. For we're sinners, we deserve nothing from God except eternal separation and condemnation. And yet, in his grace and mercy, God has promised us salvation. Here it is in Revelation 21, verse 1 to 3, when the church is at home in the New Jerusalem. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Now let's go away back in time to see the origin of this phrase and the promise it makes to us. Pause the recording and read Genesis 17 verse 1 to 14. Do that just now. Genesis 17, verse 1 to 14. So I'm assuming now that you've read Genesis 17, verse 1 to 14. Look especially at verse 7. It says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee, And thy seed after thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Now there's that promise of salvation. It's given to Abraham and it's given to his seed, those who come after him, generation after generation. And it's an expansive covenant, for it includes many nations. In verse 4, And there's a promised land, an inheritance, an everlasting possession, in verse 8. But the important aspect of this covenant promise, as far as this catechism question is concerned, is that there was a visible sign that the covenant had been given. It wasn't the sign that saved God's people. The sign simply pointed to the promise. The visible sign was circumcision. Look at Genesis 17 verse 11 And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. The Amplified Bible expands that for us and helps us to understand it. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be the sign, the symbol the memorial of the covenant between me and you. So how then was circumcision a visible sign of the covenant of God's grace towards sinners? What would the people witnessing a circumcision see? They would see the cutting off of sinful flesh. And they would see blood. You can see the significance. There is no other way for a soul to be saved but by the shedding of blood. Hebrews chapter nine and verse twenty two. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. But without shedding of blood is no remission. So circumcision was a signpost pointing forward to Jesus, whose blood was shed to atone for the sinful thoughts and intentions and deeds that we have done in the flesh. In Romans 8 and verse 3, Paul says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So Abraham received a marvellous promise for many nations, that his seed would be blessed and inherit everlasting life, and he gave them a sign, a guarantee, that pointed them to how this covenant would be established in the blood of God's only Son, whose death dealt once and for all with our sin. Hebrews 13 verse 20 to 21 Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Let's sing together the words of Psalm 132, verse 12 to 18. The psalmist, in this version of the psalm, If your sons will keep my covenant and the statutes I make known, surely then shall their descendants sit forever on your throne. The words for the psalm are in this study gate. But an outward sign does not cleanse us from sin in and of itself. We need the application of the word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit to generate the faith that we need to accept the forgiveness offered to us in the gospel. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6 And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. So how does all of this apply to us today? Well, we need to read Galatians 3, 22-29. So I'm going to ask you to stop the recording once again, look up that passage in your Bible and read it. Galatians 3, 22-29. In that passage you've just read, Paul is speaking to the Gentile Christians who live in Asia Minor. We might call it modern Turkey. Christians who are, in the eyes of the Hasidic Jews of that day, the Pharisees, well outside the covenant that God made with his people. But Paul strongly disagrees. Remember that promise that the covenant with Abraham would be for many nations. In Galatians 3 and 8, Paul states And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. He expands on that in our Galatians passage. He reminds us that we are all sinners, Jew and Gentile alike. He says, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. And he tells us that God gave the law to be our schoolmaster, to teach us that we fall short of God's requirements and to drive us to look for a Saviour who is now revealed to us as God's own Son, the Lord Jesus. In verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So justification is not through the law, which we can never keep. It is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Verse 25. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. There are now only two types of people in this world those who are in Christ, the saved, and those who are lost. And since there is no longer any difference between Jews and everyone else, for there will be no one in heaven who has not come by way of Christ, we, believers in Jesus, are the inheritors of the promise of the gospel that was made to Abraham. Verse 29 And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. In Romans 4 and verse 11 And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. I can remember a humorous wee song that people would sing at social evenings. Father Abraham had many sons. It was amusing because, despite its repetitive lyrics, it involved a progressive sequence of actions that would leave the singers exhausted when it was finished. But there was more than a grain of truth in it. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's praise the Lord. But circumcision, the original visible sign of the covenant, is actually no longer needed because we have the reality that circumcision pointed to. Christ has shed his blood for us. So Paul reminds us of a new visible sign, one that has been instituted by Jesus himself in the Great Commission, a sacrament in verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism points us to Christ, just as much as circumcision pointed Abraham to Christ. That's what Peter meant in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the sacraments are things that we can see. Holy things, according to the Catechism. The things of God. Things not for common use, but visual aids to help us to understand the Gospel and to claim God's promises for ourselves. It's no accident that when Paul spoke of baptism in Galatians 3, he does it in tandem with the law, teaching us about sin and grace and Christ. The sacraments work in tandem with the word of God, preached, received by the sinner, applied by the Holy Spirit, bringing new life in Christ through faith alone. So, question 67 asks, Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrament of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? And the answer is yes indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the Gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. Finally, the Catechist wants us to be in no doubt what the promise of the Gospel is. I repeat, the promise of God is not an easy life, or a pretty wife, or a flashy car, or healthy children. It's not material prosperity, or wealth, or business success. It's not having a private jet or a yacht, as claimed by some preachers and televangelists who claim to be Christians. That's false religion. We call that moralistic therapeutic deism. It's the false belief that there is a vague God somewhere, a vague heavenly grandfather who watches over us benignly and whose main purpose is to look out for me and keep me and my family healthy and safe so long as I am a decent person and say my prayers and do my best. No, that's not the God of the promise of the gospel. And those are not the promises included in the gospel. So our catechist reminds us This is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross.